Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is Joel Stevenson, the CEO of Yesware, a technology business that helps high-performing sales teams do meaningful email outreach at scale. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you, Joel. And I'm curious about your CEO journey. How did you land in the top seat of a fast-growing startup, Yesware? Yeah, it was a long and winding road. I started my career in sales right out of college. And then I did that for a few years, sort of lived through the dot-com boom, the dot-com bust, and you know, 9-11 and all these things that you know seem like very, very distant memories now. And the, the economy started to slow down very significantly in you know, kind of the early 2000s. I ended up going back and getting my MBA and focused a little bit more on quantitative finance concentration. So did mostly customer facing things, wanted to do some more more quantitative stuff afterwards. And then so then I landed in consulting and then sort of back in the startup world, which brought me ultimately to this little company called CSN Stores that later became Wayfair. And so I was at Wayfair for seven and a half years. And one of the things that I did at Wayfair was I built up our B2B business, which is selling to you know interior designers and contractors and builders, that sort of thing, versus selling to individual consumers. And we grew that to $400 million over a few years. And that was a really exciting journey. Yes, Wayfair eventually got a little bit too big for me. And so I, I was looking to do something different. And we spent a tremendous amount of time and effort using technology to drive sales productivity and in that B2B part of Yesware and that or just part of uh, Wayfair. Um, which is so interesting. I'd, sometimes I'll say Wayfair versus Yesware because they rhyme. And I sometimes joke that I only work for companies that rhyme, but it's, it's not really true. But then as I was looking to leave, there was an opportunity to join. We had an investor in common between Yesware and Wayfair. And, and so I, I knew a little bit about the company, got to know them better. And the chance to sort of stay in Boston and go from a buyer of tech like that to a seller of tech like that and help other co- companies do sort of you know some of the things that we were able to do at, at Wayfair was exciting. That That's how I ended up here. Well, incidentally, I recently purchased some tiles from Wayfair. So I kind of experienced uh, this is a pretty powerful B2C platform as well. Yeah. So it seems like you did a great job there too. So yeah, so I am excited about how you do this. How do you spur sales and marketing for for retailer or for a service business? So can you please share about your favorite framework for customer acquisition? Yeah, there are many, many ways to acquire customers. Obviously, there's, you know, people have different motions. Sometimes you have e commerce, sometimes you have high call center, high velocity, you have inside sales, you have outside sales. There's many, many channel sales. There's all kinds of different ways to do it. But, you know, an important way to understand if you're doing a good job with that, and then not only are you acquiring the customers, but you're retaining them over time is to what is generally referred to as cohort analysis. And one of the reasons why I really like this tool is because we used it pretty extensively at Wayfair in, in what was much more of an e-commerce world. And we also use it very extensively here at uh, at Yesware and, and now Vendasta, who acquired Yesware, to to look at all you know very different types of sales motion. So I believe it's that this is a broadly a, a applicable framework. And the way it works is you basically you take all your customers 
and you uh, group them by did by some common thing. It could be the date that you first acquired them. Maybe it might be the first date you started advertising them. It might be the first date they actually started paying you money. There, there's different ways to do it, but you group them into groups. For now, we'll just say like we'll, we'll call them uh, ac- acquisition cohorts. So the and people use different time frames. You know, oftentimes people use months, but so you can use quarters or years or or weeks. It really doesn't matter. So you group all your customers. And then what you want to do is you want to see how these customers perform over time and whatever metric that it is that you want to manage. Revenue or or billings um, is is a very popular one, but you also might want to look at how many actual customers pay you money in a given month or how you retain them. You might look at profit metrics. There are different different things that you can plug into this framework. Then what you do is is you, you need to get all that information. So if I'm looking at revenue, I need to find for each customer, how much revenue did they pay me every calendar month? Take all that. And then what you're doing is you're now grouping you're grouping that information by the acquisition cohorts and you're normalizing it to be ordered, you know, it's called ordinal month. So if I have a customer that acquire in January 2023 and I look at the revenue that they paid me in February 2023—that's month one. Whatever month, whatever revenue you collect in that same month would be considered month zero. So you do that for all of your cohorts, and what you end up with is something that normally looks like a, you know, kind of a, a triangle. That's the, the long end is at the, or sort of the the hypotenuse is sort of going up and to the right. And what you'll see is in that is that you so now, so now you have two views of your customers. You have a view of your customer going from left to right, which is how does a group of customers perform over time? And then you have going from top to bottom, you have a view of for any given point in time, month one, month four, month five, whatever it happens to be, are we getting better or worse versus where we used to be? And so you can use those two sort of methods to say, where might we have a problem? And so are there big drop-offs? Do there seem to be kinks? Oftentimes, for if you're selling to small businesses, there's a lot of churn at the beginning that it starts to level off. Or where is that level off point coming? Is it moving out? Is it moving in? Is there some particular point where all of a sudden, well, you might have a lot of annual contracts. And so month 12 is the one that really matters. And that's a challenge. So, so you can look at this. And the reason I prefer something like this, to, in, especially in software, we talk a lot about people. We talk a lot about co- customer acquisition cost, and there's another metric people talk a lot about, which is long lifetime customer value or LTV to, to customer acquisition cost or LTV yeah. to CAC. And those are great metrics, but they're point in time. And, it, and to me, it's kind of like uh, trying to expect that you would have gotten all the content from a long form article by just reading the headline. There's so much more depth that you get by looking at a view like this that can that can give you all the detail about what's happening. Which then allows you to say, okay, well, where do I have a problem? Like, oh, we're getting worse here. Like, why are we getting worse here? Let's go look into that. Or we're actually pretty static, but for some reason, we get all this customer drop off in month six. Why are we getting all this customer drop off in month? So it ends up being a tool to identify where problems might exist in your business or opportunities. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so basically, how I understand is the the steps of the framework. So you gather all your data about your customers when they purchased and how they purchased. And then number two is you standardize this data into monthly cohorts. So the customers, all of them that bought in January and February and so on. And then you look at those cohorts. So someone buys in time zero in January, and then maybe something happens in March, something happens in May, month month three, month five. There are different patterns emerge Mm. where people drop off or maybe they start to purchase more. And then you identify those bottlenecks, perhaps, or opportunities 
in that chain where you can you can leverage or you can remove a, a bottleneck, and then you adjust you keep adjusting your approach. So that's that sounds like a very powerful uh, approach. Yeah, the, uh, the other benefit that I find it has is that it, it can be pretty useful for forecasting. So whether you're just trying to figure out what your revenue is going to be over over some period of time, or you know if you're doing some sort of direct response advertising like Facebook or Google AdWords or something like that, you probably have some sort of a payback parameter that you're operating within. And it might be that all of a sudden you start doing way better than what you thought. And you can sort of... Because you have a lot of data now, you can extrapolate with confidence what your revenue is going to be three months from now, six months from now, you know, whatever it ends up being. And that might that might allow you to start spending more right away and there might be inventory. And so that might allow you to accelerate your business. Conversely, you might see that you're not hitting your targets and you might you, you might pull back and kind of readjust and, and figure out what your what some of those issues are. So I find that it can be not only might it it might point out problems with your product or your service, but it also is a tool to allow you to kind of be more responsive on accelerating or, de- de- or decelerating your uh, acquisition spending. Yeah, that's great. So you can adjust by analyzing what happens, what's the pattern in the customer lifecycle. So what are the kind of things that you can do to remove this churn pattern or to actually stop customers churning? What are the examples that you see you or your customers do to stop churn? Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of tactics, I would say, broadly. I mean, the, to me, the most important one, or the most important group of tactics tend to be really around like, what is your core product and service? And is it meeting the needs of your customers effectively? And that's getting out and talking to customers and looking at churn surveys and all these types of things. And in general, I would say the the biggest gains to retention typically will come from making like doing the actual hard work of how do you improve your product and service um, over long periods of time. And they don't tend to come in big chunks. Usually they're little small increments that you have to stack, stack on top to be sure. But to me, that's kind of the most important, the most important class of work. There are other classes of work which are also important and can produce a big benefit and sometimes can produce a big benefit much more quickly than the product work. One of them is just how are you servicing your customers? So you might be servicing your customers all one way. You maybe have an opportunity to segment your customers and give your top customers better service. Um, You might already have some segmentation, but you might be able to do that a little bit differently. If you have people in the mix, it may be that they don't have good signals coming in about how people are using your product or service. And if they had better signals, they would know when to go talk to somebody or when to anticipate a phone call, or they could do you could do a better job with training and education of those folks to do a better job when they're actually inter- interacting with a customer. So that that's the type of work that you may find if you've got an opportunity to kind of resegment, you get a bit of an unlock. But generally speaking, that's one too that it's usually you got to do you got to get a lot of small increments and stack them up over time to to get a big benefit. And then the last one tends to be what type of customers are you bringing into your funnel? And so are you actually bringing in customers that are not good fits? And that might be because you're advertising in a particular channel where maybe your the good fit customers don't exist. You might have a type of a sort of a, a, a value proposition that is great for Facebook clicks, but actually your product doesn't deliver that great on. And so you can sort of get into that into that trap a little bit. Or it just may be something where you could specialize in a particular industry or a particular size of customer or group of customers. And those are just the better customers. And so you could, instead of 
casting a wide net, you could instead try to cast a much more a much smaller net, or you know, you sort of do uh, spear fishing instead of net catching, yeah. if you will. And that's those are that that can be very effective in some cases. Yeah, interesting. So there are lots of reasons that there could be lots of reasons for churn, and with an analysis like the cohort framework, cohort analysis framework, you can actually uh, identify what happens to the customers in months two, months five, and you can correlate them to certain things they do or they they don't do or communications you do or that trigger churn or prevent churn, and you can adjust your approach. Yeah, so, and, and if you have good enough data, it's easy to filter those things. So you could say, how do our automotive customers do versus our HVAC customers? Or so I'm just making that up, but there's, so there are many ways to, to handle that. Okay, so that gives you data that you can analyze further rather than just the aggregate data, which is great. Now, switching gears here. So Yesware is in the business of helping sales team do meaningful email outrage. So what is the problem that you're solving at Yesware? Yeah, there's two reasons people would, would typically look for a solution like Yesware. What, one reason is just good old sales productivity, where you might be doing some things manually that you could do in a more automated way, doing higher volumes of email outreach, where you have some similar types of things that you're saying, you know, calendar booking, syncing information back into your CRM are all things that can be done um, in an automated way. And, and that, that then in turn free up uh, more time for selling activities. Then the other reason tends to be it has to do with intelligence or effectiveness. And so can I get more information into my sales process such that I can make better decisions about uh, the content that I'm sending or how I'm reacting or how I'm sequencing my sales process so that I can improve not only the current sales process that I'm in, but future sales processes. Okay, so you you essentially help them optimize the sales process over time by uh, gathering information on, on what is happening in, in their sales? Yeah, that's right. I mean, like a, a very simple example might be, let's say, you know, you and I have a, let's say you and I meet and we just have a discovery meeting. I'm just trying to learn more about your business. And I decide, okay, well, you know, Steve's going to be a pretty good fit. And so what I normally do after we meet is I have a template where I say, hey, thanks for meeting. And here's all the things that we talked about that I think are great. And oh, by the way, here's a white paper that you should read when you have some time because it's going to be great. And click here to schedule the next meeting or I'll call you and say, yeah, something like that. You know, so that might be the thing that you do. But then you you might say, oh, well, you know what? There's this other piece of content that I've always wanted to try. And maybe that would work better than the white paper. And so then you send that and you can send, you can do that enough times and you can just sort of watch, okay, well, you know, what was my reply rate to those emails? What was my rate of getting a, the next meeting booked? Like, did people even look at this content? Like, how did they look at this content? So you start to get more and more information about that. And that can be an individual doing that. But where it's really powerful and where a lot of the Esware customers have seen a lot of benefit is when you can then extrapolate that out to an entire team. And so one rep might experiment or you might have a team of operations or enablement professionals that are driving this in sort of a more standard way. And if one salesperson figures out, oh, this is a better way to progress from this part of the sales process to this other part of the sales process, and then that gets shared with the whole team, well, now your entire, now your entire team is more effective, not just that one person. So that's where you start to get some real, some real benefit. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's the old mirroring technique. I remember 20, I'm dating myself, but 20, over 20 years ago, I was involved with a, a McKinsey and company project for the new bank. And one of the things they did when they came in, they looked at, okay, who's the best practice here? And how can we then have everyone else ex- execute the best practice? So just mm-hmm. by mirroring the best practices, 
across the organization, they increased productivity dramatically. And that's one of the things that, that you do with Yesware. Yeah, that's really interesting. So where is uh, the whole sales outreach game going? I mean, over the past years, it's become apparent that uh, cold calls have almost dried up. Now, the phone company even alerts you that this is a potential spam. Don't pick up the phone. Or if you pick it up and there's a long wait, there's a machine behind and you hang up. So essentially, cold calls have phased out. And also, I see that LinkedIn is becoming less effective for mm-hmm. sales outreach. Email. So maybe email is still good. I don't know. But where is this whole game going and how is AI going to influence things further? Yeah, the it's an interesting question. And I think it, it is difficult. It's hard and getting harder to do cold outreach. And I think there's a couple of things to think about. One is that if you're going to do cold outreach, then I think you really have to think about how are you going to invest enough in your cold outreach that it stands out as authentic and delivers real value in what you're selling. And so you probably can't do that at great scale. You probably have to be pretty targeted in that approach. And I would argue you should probably be selling something that's pretty valuable if you're going to take that approach because it's tough and, and you, you got you just got to be willing to put in the I think the real authentic effort to try to cut through because not only do you have systems like Yesware and others that allow people to to put a lot of whether it's in mails or email or phone calls out into the world but you also have AI which is making it easier to generate content it's, it's not going to get any better certainly in, in in the short term so I think if you're trying to do that that's one approach I, where where I think things are probably where it's been moving and where I think it's going to continue to move is the sales effort is going to start after the customer knows in general, knows something about you or you've somehow gotten their attention or their awareness. And that's either through content or through advertising or word of mouth, whatever it ends up. But you know, someone's going to show up into your funnel for some reason that wasn't because you made you know 5,000 phone calls <laughs> in general. And at that point, then I think it's all the same sales rules apply. Like you need to be following up with someone at an appropriate frequency. You need to have a good, tight approach. And I think very importantly, you need to avoid, you know, what I would call unforced errors, which is like you didn't follow up timely, you didn't prepare for an appointment, you didn't ask all the good questions you could have asked. Like you basically you, you did something to follow up the sales process that that if you would have just taken a little bit more time and attention, you could have you could have done it because the leads are so precious now that when you get one, like you, you really want to close them. And so many of the same tactics and, and approaches that have worked for the last, say, decade on outbound sales, are those are still important for inbounds. Whether if your process is a little bit more inbound, you still have to sort of treat it like an outbound process. But I think that initial contact and how much the buyer knows about you when they first show up into the sales funnel, that is a bit of a different game now. Yes. So what you're saying is that marketing or maybe brand brand building is more important than ever because without it people will just not respond they will just not take your call won't respond mm-hmm. email so sales uh, has to work with marketing very closely yep. So yep as a sales company do you get involved in marketing is this something that you need to keep control of in order to uh, ensure that you are going to generate the results Yeah, there's, well, I think there's a few ways to look at this. I think one way that you can look at it is if you look at a lot of the, at least in technology, you look at a lot of the, a lot of the public companies and and leading companies that have grown a lot and have big sales teams. 
We used to always see marketing ops and sales ops, and you increasingly see a, a role called revenue ops instead because the lines are so blurred and you might be in the marketing funnel for a while and then in the, up in the sales funnel and then you drop out of the sales funnel and you're back in the marketing funnel. It's The lines have, have blurred quite significantly there. And, and we, even in, in our own process here at, at Yes, where we've traditionally been a product-led growth company. And so normally the way that people first experience Yesware is not from a salesperson calling them, but from it's for them trying the product. And they start to try the product, they get a little bit of interest in it. Then they might say, hey, like I'd like to learn more about it and, and we'll talk to them. Or it might be that we start to see enough users start to show up at a company that then we might begin an outbound effort. But now we sort of know something about that you have an interest, that you have a need, that you're trying this, that you, that this might have some value within your company. And so, I mean, at least for our own case, we're very deeply tied into marketing um, for, for that reason. And then you have a product-led company, then the question becomes, how do you create awareness for the product, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, and there's a few ways we do, you know, kind of traditional old advertising. We used to go to trade shows, that, you know, somewhat. We I think since COVID, we haven't really done as much of that. We might go back and, and do that again in the future. We aspire, we don't always meet the mark here, but we aspire to have a lot of the a lot of that awareness be driven from the product and so there are some you know viral loops if you will that the product mm-hmm. generates so you send a a yes or a meeting schedule or invite out to somebody they have a good experience with and they say oh I might that might be interesting for me or mm-hmm. you have a sales it's a sales process with somebody that also happens to be in sales like oh like how'd you like you ran a really good sales process like how do you do that that certainly happens I mean we we see customers that move from one company to another that would bring Yesware with. And so there's a variety of ways to there's a variety of ways to do that. And I think the the key for for most businesses, but I think especially for product-led businesses, is you got to have multiple channels to bring people in. You eventually are always going to sat you're going to saturate the thing that works the best usually. And so you've always got to have the, the second and third, fourth, fifth channel that you're developing when that because that first channel will eventually plateau. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So that could be a topic of another conversation on how to create awareness and then how do you promote a product-led company and, and this whole loops, the acquisition loops, the engagement loops, the viral loops. Mm-hmm. A fascinating topic. Maybe yeah. could for another day. So we are coming to the end of our time. So if people would like to learn more, maybe they run a sales team, they're looking for an edge, a product that can help them be more effective, scale their sales function, where should they go? Where can they connect with you and learn about Yesware? Yeah, the uh, best way is just to, to come to yesware.com. We've got, if you go to yesware.com forward slash blog, we've got, I don't know, a decade worth of sales content that we've written that uh, tends to be pretty data driven and I think helpful. And it's all free. So you can do that. Um, you can sign up for a free trial at yesware.com. Um, we've got a free forever tier. So if you want to just get, you know, have a little bit of email tracking or something, you can get that. If you want to do more, we've, We've got some more options available. And then I've got a sales-focused podcast called The Hard Sell, which you can find at yesword.com forward slash podcast or on the on the usual places, hopefully the same places you're, you're listening here to this one. Okay, so The Hard Sell, it sounds uh, intriguing. It is hard to sell these days, even if you don't do a hard sell. So definitely an interesting uh, podcast to check out. So thank you, uh, Joel, for coming and to, for sharing your knowledge. And uh, those who are listening, don't forget to check out our YouTube and uh, and subscribe to our YouTube channel because that's where all the good stuff is. And we started putting shorts up so you can go back and you can 
just uh, taste. So the past episodes, look at the framework. And if you like it, you can go to the full episode and, and check it out as well. So thank you for listening and thank you for coming, Joar, to the show. Great to be here. Thanks. Thanks.